Hey, everybody. I'm Kelly Ellers. I'm Jeffrey Lunnan. And this is Volume Up by The Tease. So, Kelly, I hear that the boys have not really gotten over your whole intro thing and that there's a little bit of mocking. Is that there the is. case? It's true. <laughs> they walk around the house being, and this is Volume Up. And I am Kelly Ellers. And I don't know whether it's charming or if it's downright mockery, but they're eight and 10 and they seem to think it's funny. And it's a toss up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe someday they'll make an appearance and they can do the banter with you at the beginning or the intro. (laughs) (laughs) I would love that. Um, I find, you know, this podcast voice thing versus regular voice is Hmm. not that different for me, but I can't stand either. For myself, oh. whereas I really enjoy your whole chipper intro. So I yeah. think it's it's sad if they are mocking you. I don't like that for you. I don't um, like the sound of my voice. I enjoy the sound of your voice. So I guess uh, it's a win for both of us. That's right. Exactly. Hey, uh, you get that uh, holiday gift finally I sent? I did. You guys. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Kelly and I have a shared love for all things Jonathan Adler. Uh, the irreverence. Uh, it's yeah. So Kelly very generously gifted me a vase uh, mm-hmm. that is Frida Kahlo inspired. It's incredible. You should look it up. Uh, and I immediately put my under new management flower arrangement right in there. So it I looks it looks like it's always been here, yeah. which is the highest compliment. We love it. So thank you very much. <laughs> you are welcome. And it's always a toss up with Jonathan Adler. Like what would be crossing the work boundaries? I was going to say, it could be it could be bad, but that was like a, a very appropriate one. Um, I feel like whereas I had, like, yeah, different ones in my basket. And I thought, what would Jeff's wife think of this? I think this might be crossing the line. Yeah, like the large acrylic pills are probably yes. not a great mm-hmm. thing. Or like the little canisters for all sorts of treats we'll say mm-hmm. um, probably wouldn't have gone over quite as well uh but the the vase with the faces is okay it's pretty I'm, great I'm glad. <laughs> when <laughs> all right if you liked my interview with ali webb the icon the co-founder of dry bar kind of an ultimate girl crush for me but we were going to keep that between just the producers and I, but now it's out there. Um, Yeah. I kept my cool, (laughs) kept my cool. Um, From beauty school to beauty empire. Her story is absolutely incredible. I have followed her and admired her crazily, interestingly from the sidelines, but if you enjoyed it, make sure to subscribe, rate and review and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok at read the tease and send in questions to volume up at the tease.com. Ali Webb was such an incredible get. We are obsessed with her. We know that you guys are out there who've listened. I listened to the podcast three times myself. Uh, but in addition to talking to big names like Ali, one of our goals at thetease.com and Volume Up, the podcast, is to talk to people who should be big names. Uh, we're all about increasing representation of people that the salon professional and beauty industries have marginalized historically. Uh, and one such person is Zenda Walker. Uh, she's a name that you should know. She's a voice that you're going to get to hear today. She and I talked about her relationship with hair and beauty and what inspired her to write her book, Know Your Heritage, like hair, Zara's Wash Day, uh, that she's now spinning off into an entire standalone brand. Uh, It was a really powerful, emotional conversation um, that we are happy to have, you know, participated in. Uh, We think that you guys are going to really enjoy it. And it's, it's a, it was a big one. It was a fun one. It was an honor to have her on. I cannot wait to listen to the full interview. I heard it was quite powerful, right? So I think there's a lot of education to do here, a lot of work to be done. So kudos to you, Zenda, for this amazing story. I mean, it's beautifully illustrated. You can check it out on amazon.com. 
Know Your Heritage, Zara's Wash Day. But before we get to that, we've got some stuff to talk about. What's What's been bothering us this week? Hmm. You know, what hasn't? You put, really, you should start there. But one thing that sort of popped up in the news, and I feel sort of personally attacked by it, is, you know, <laughs> millennials, Gen Z, whatever, we're, wherever we're at here, we're criticizing the mom side part. And I personally think it's a volume play. It's not necessarily a mom play. <laughs> Okay. And I'm into the volume. So I'm not here for that. I also did the middle part Mm -hmm. a couple decades ago. So I've actually already been there, done that onto something new. Okay. Right. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like everything's cyclical trends come and go, but this is like the side side part versus the center part center can be pretty severe for folks. Like the side part is doesn't it depend on face shape too? I mean, that's that's where we're coming from. Yeah, like, same. if you can pull off no. a center part, then like all the power to you. But that's not that's not for everybody, right? Like that. I feel like on. to be clear, right now I can't also pull off a center part, <laughs> so I'm sticking to the side part. Okay. Also, the death of the crying emoji. Why? Why yeah, are we hurt. assigning that to moms? Why? Yeah, I rarely I, use that emoji, and now I'm going to use it more. You feel spurned. Um, I do. You know, mm-hmm. when you're spited, that's what happens. Uh, I like the crying emoji, so that one was tough for me. Uh, that's a go-to in my emoji rotation. Is it? What's your number one? Uh, number one emoji is the bullseye emoji. That's like oh. my, yeah, that's it. That's the one. There's nothing like more succinct than that. Like when I'm in agreement. Got it. That's all. That's it. That's you all know, you have to say. And talking about, it's just dawned on me, talking about how the death of the crying one is not cool. And they said what is cool is the skull emoji. And I want to say I use that way more frequently. The dead emoji, that is like dying dead from crying or from laughing. And that's probably my most used. And I don't know if that's correct at all, but it's what I do. (laughs) That And then recently I've been using that one. You know, the one with the big eye and the small eye, like, whoa. Yep. That one too, I've been using. That's a classic. Mm-hmm. Now, we might have talked about this, but it, it just came back up because we're talking emojis. Do you remember the Salt Lake City Real Housewives controversy oh. about the thumbs up emoji being an <laughs> F-U-C-K space Y-O-U? I do. I don't agree. Do you? I, I strongly disagree. Yeah, yeah, no, a thumbs up is definitely not the same thing. Uh, no. I just wanted to clear that up for the record. We don't yeah. subscribe Thank to you. that thinking. And if we did, people <laughs> this week have certainly been offended by me because I have definitely used it several times, maybe even today. I, feel, I was going to say, I definitely use it, but it's like an affirmative. It is like a yes. Yes. We are, an, Got we are it. good to go here. Not a, it. exactly. Not a F-U-C-K space no. Y-O-U. There's That's other emojis for that. We got exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like the explicit one that says the, you know, whatever. Yeah. The red face mm-hmm. blackout. Yep. No, agreed. But speaking <laughs> of something or someone who maybe deserves that mm-hmm. red face blackout mm. cursing emoji uh, is a one Mr. Justin Timberlake Oof. issued a much too late apology to a one mm-hmm. Ms. Britney Spears and a one Ms. Janet Jackson. Uh, how are you feeling about that? Because obviously I've just revealed my feelings on the situation. Well, I go back to, I think it was my 35th birthday and I had the choice to either go backstage at Christian Siriano, New York Fashion Week. And it was either that or second row Justin Timberlake concert. Mm. I chose Fashion Week. 
Yeah. And you I feel okay right. about it. <laughs> yeah, I, you should. I have been a major fan of his, but looking back on it, it's like, why did Janet Jackson take all that heat? She didn't rip it off. He did. Mm -hmm. Like, and so, and then the Britney thing, there's a whole nother episode we could do on free Britney because she's a tortured soul. And I think that, you know, we all probably did it to her because of the fame. I'm going to go one more deep into the celebrity with my bone to pick. Okay. okay. So Ryan Reynolds is doing Blake Lively's hair. I don't know if you saw on her Instagram, it was controversial. The hairdresser, I blanked and it was him doing her hair. She can't get mm. somebody there to do her hair. That's tough. She's do- going box, box color. I don't support that. I support our professionals who are clean and sanitary and are needing to earn a living And I believe that there would have been a hairdresser somewhere that would take all the necessary precautions to do Blake Lively's hair. Strong agreement. Our editorial team has been hard at work as always on covering this week and every week's industry news, diving into the brands that you should know about, maybe you don't, lots of stories. Uh, Here are some of our favorite headlines from the tease.com this week. First up, Nancy read Bedtime Bonnet, another really cool children's book celebrating black hair and the bedtime bonnet. I thought this was well done. I loved in the overview in the book, she said in in her family, when the sun went down, their hair went up and it was just a ritual that they had. And kind of the significance of the, the bedtime bonnet was really interesting to me. So kudos to you, Nancy, for illustrating that for young children uh, and sharing your wisdom with us. Yeah, that story is so good. Uh, Both the story of the book, as well as the article, you guys have to check that out. Uh, We are so thrilled about some of the the features that we've had for for this month and for for future months. Uh, And that's one of them. That's one of my favorites too. So, you know, I also have, if you're a hairdresser that welcomes celebrating all hair textures There is a new event, a new awards, if you will, called Texture Style Awards. And we had Monet Everett on the podcast previously, Mm -hmm. and she's making waves, um, has a lot to say about textured hair and education that needs to be there surrounding, you know, the different types of textured hair, how to style, how to essentially become a master in that area as well. So from now until March 27th, stylists and salon pros can submit a photo of their work um, that represents one of the four hair categories. Uh, it costs only $10 to enter for a submission and they're going to be selected by a panel of judges to win a texture style award. Um, brands that are supporting it, kudos to you, Wella and From Professional, um, but I think it's needed in our industry and I'm, I'm super excited to see all of the submissions. It sounds like such an incredible awards, uh, timely as ever. Uh, totally. And yeah, Monet's the best and we love her and we loved having her on the podcast and we're super excited for this opportunity uh, to really spotlight the beauty of textured hair. So this is going to be incredible. And yeah, we're dying over the entries that are that are sure to come. I have got to say that one of the things that I'm most obsessed with right now is an article that is 10 skincare products from Black-owned brands that we swear by. Uh, our editors dove in deep to Black-owned brands and picked out some of the best-reviewed products. They've tested some things. Um, I'm all about skincare stuff at the moment. Uh, not that I'm using it for myself, but I want to know everything that I can know and then think obsessively about purchasing <laughs> things, if you know what I'm getting at. Uh, and so this one does the deep dive that I needed uh, to consider some things. And one of them is this Fenty eye cream that I keep thinking about. You've always been a fan of Fenty. I know. I know. That's your, that's your. I know. Mm -hmm. And with the fashion brand going away, like I feel like I've got to support the skincare 
So I might have to be making that purchase. Thanks All to right. our team for that one. You know, I feel like this is maybe the second podcast we've talked about eye creams mm-hmm. under eye treatments. Mm-hmm. I feel like you should just go and hit add to cart. Yeah, yeah. no. Because you're going to get it's gonna me happen. to move in on this. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm really going to be a real life TikTok filter. So you are. <laughs> I can't pull off the center part. I can't pull off the bags under my eyes forever. No, so you're done. You're basically yep. done. Yeah. <laughs> It's a wrap. It's a wrap on me. Uh, as always, so, so much going on at thetease.com. Thank you to our hardworking editors. We are so proud to publish the stories that salon pros and consumers care about, especially during the month of Black History Month. I cannot wait for you guys to hear this interview that we've got with Zenda. Uh, her story, both the book that she's written about her daughter, uh, as well as her own sort of relationship with hair and beauty uh, was really, really moving. Uh, we talked about some deep stuff that I think that you guys are going to appreciate hearing. Uh, yeah, and we want to hear what you guys think after after you hear the, the full interview. And we are here with Zenda Walker. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Volume Up. We are so excited to have you here. Zenda, you've done it all. Marketing exec, entrepreneur, business owner, licensed professional, children's author. So our question to start this whole thing off is, what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? Thanks for having me. And that's a great question to start with because, you know, when I was younger, as a young girl, I, you know, I wanted to be a doctor. But as I grew up into, you know, elementary school, high school, and when I was starting to lean into thoughts about my career, I actually wanted to be a lawyer. Hmm. Okay. Did you see? (laughs) No, 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 it's not that far. Did you see children's book author on that pathway at all? I mean, you know, I did not, you know, however, when I was in the fourth grade, I loved writing imaginative stories, very creative stories. And I had my fourth grade teacher would always tell my mother, well, you know, she has a great imagination. She writes really good stories. I believe she could really go on to becoming an author. And so it, it was a thought, you know, when my Mm -hmm. teacher brought it up to my mother, but I never actually saw it as a real career. I didn't know enough at the time what it really could be or what it truly was to be an author. And so I love to kind of think back at that memory and the belief and what my teacher saw in me in the fourth grade. And I'm just happy to say that this is something that I have been able to create for myself. And for the world. I mean, we're going to talk about the book in a bit. I mean, we're so excited about that and want to unpack everything there. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about children's stories and, and books when you were growing up. I mean, you talked about loving them. Um, were there any stories as a kid that you really identified with or things that you're thinking that like you reflect fondly on now uh, after all those years? Yes. Yeah, so I would say that some of the typical stories from Dr. Seuss um, mm-hmm. and as I, I kind of got older, the Judy Blooms of the world and um, I even got into a little bit of the, you know, Ramona Forevers and uh, those series. When I think back as well, there were some fun like high school series that I would enjoy. But then I started getting into some of these classic authors like a Toni Morrison. I read The Bluest Eye and that changed 
so much for me because it really was this almost like poetry <laughs> reading these, these books and diving into some deeper messaging that really captured my heart. And so I loved just reading and, and getting lost in some of those stories. And I also loved reading books that um, where I could see myself in the book or even become someone else and go on someone else's journey and escape to some degree. So it's interesting that you bring up the sort of idea of seeing oneself in literature. Uh, in the U.S. in particular, there's legitimate criticism that there's just not representation um, of Black folks, of people of color. Uh, I read recently Mina Harris was talking about in like 2017, there were more children's books about animals than there were featuring Black protagonists, um, which is obviously a huge problem. Do you feel like with your book and and with this sort of new focus on social justice and racial justice in the U.S. that we're going to see that that's going to change? Like, what are your, your thoughts there? Absolutely. In fact, now that I am an author and I've been tapping into some of these author networks um, and platforms, what I realized is that, especially with technology, we have the ability now, we're seeing a lot more self-published authors. And so now that I'm a part of this world, the self-publishing world has given so many people the ability to become authors. And so what I'm learning is that we actually do have quite a bit of literature and um, children's book offerings out there. It's just that we need a broader audience. We need more people to see that you don't have to be African-American. You don't have to be Latinx. You don't have to be Hispanic. You don't have to be Asian to tap into learning about other cultures and seeking out narratives about other cultures. And so I see that there's going to be an explosion of <laughs> explosion of literature and children's books for sure. And especially now that we're being more empowered to self-publish and even do some hybrid self-publishing and commercial publishing. Love that. I mean, it's a whole new world for, for better or worse. I mean, the pandemic shook up normal ways of doing things, which has allowed for this tremendous sort of renaissance of like new and different. And, and yeah, I mean, it's going to be 2021 and onward, uh, a really interesting time to be living through. Another thing that I kind of want to reflect on for a sec is, I mean, you talked about Toni Morrison and her work is so uh, sort of personal and also universal about like, the Black experience in the U.S., Talk to us a little bit about your own relationship with Hair and Beauty, because I think that, I mean, it, it must, it seems, have informed the book that you've written. I love that question. So I'm going to tell you a little story, and it's going to kind of set the tone for what my journey, you know, is. So mm -hmm. it might have been about my daughter's age, maybe like six or seven. And I had a crush on a little boy in my class. <laughs> and this little boy was the class clown. So he made everyone laugh. And I think that's why so many people were drawn to this little boy. Mm -hmm. And so there was, you know, his race didn't really matter. It was just his personality and the way we all interacted with him in the classroom. And I'll never forget the day we decided to write a note back and forth to each other in class. And he, he asked me if I liked him. I, I checked the box. Yeah, box yes. And I asked him back, do you like me? He checked the box, yes. And then he asked me, are you white or black? And at the time, and I might've even been a little bit younger, at the time, mm -hmm. race wasn't really something that we talked about or weren't even really um, too aware of at that age. Um, but I knew 
in my self-conscious, I knew that I, I wanted to put down an answer that I, where I believed he would actually really like me back or that I thought he would be happy with. And even though race wasn't that, uh, you know, important to me at the time or I wasn't that conscious of it, I did know at that time that I felt as if I said black, that he might not like me. So I actually checked a road down white, you know, as a fair skinned black woman, I felt like maybe I can pass. And he sent a note back and he asked me, so what's wrong with your hair? In that moment, as a young girl, I realized, wow, that there's something wrong with me or that was telling, that was very telling of who I truly am. And, you know, when I think back at that moment, I realized how much it affected me throughout my life. Um, the fact that that pain of having to deny that I was actually Black, but then the other piece was also being outed by my hair. <laughs> and so I've always had, you know, growing up, I was self-conscious about my texture, what my hair looked like. I think there's a combination of things that happen with me is that, you know, with a, as a curly haired girl or textured or kinky haired girl, sometimes as kids, you just want what you don't have. Right. So mm -hmm. I have my friend's daughter, you know, my daughter's friends, they want her curly hair too. Mm -hmm. So it's a combination of that. But the fact that this young boy attached something being wrong with me with my hair just set in. And so I also remember growing up and not really seeing too many images of myself or people that looked like me or had hair texture like me on the covers of magazines or even being associated with that that beauty um, mm -hmm. ideal. I also remember going to stores and shopping for hair products and seeing kind of a sign that would say, instead of being associated in a beauty aisle, it would be categorized as something different, right? And so those are all those messages, whether they're overt messages or micro you know, um, messages that go through a child's head. And sometimes you don't know that you're internalizing that. And so I grew up just not being 100% confident about my hair. However, there was a turning point where it was wash day. And now wash day for a lot of African-American women is a day or um, designated hours in a day mm -hmm. that you dedicate to caring for your hair. And sometimes it just takes longer because maybe we are styling our hair in a, you know, a certain style that just takes longer. But because of our texture and the need to kind of moisturize, our hair, that's a day where we might moisturize, you know, wash, moisturize, and then style and prepare ourselves um, to be fabulous for the week. Um, so as a young girl, my, my mom would wash our hair. I have a twin sister. We would wash our hair in the kitchen. And it was, Saturday was our designated wash day. And I'll never forget us kind of complaining and squirming because with textured hair, sometimes it gets really tangly. We had tender scalps and we just weren't excited about wash day <laughs> and we were squirming and I'll never forget my dad coming down into the kitchen. He was a man of few words, but when he spoke, he was very powerful. He sat in the kitchen. He, he listened to us while he was drinking his tea. And then he said, you know, Rachel and Zenda, I know you, you don't seem to be enjoying this. And, you know, I see the tears, right. And I see that this is not fun for you, but he said, do you know why your hair is so special? And my sister and I asked, yeah, why dad? And he said, do you know that your hair is connected to the maroons of Jamaica? And so we sat up in our chairs a little differently and we, I raised my eyebrow and I thought, I want to hear more. Like, what do you mean? Yep. 
And so he talked about this maroon community in the island of Jamaica, because both of my parents were born and raised in Jamaica. And he said the maroons were Africans who were brought over in the transatlantic slave trade to the Caribbean. And these particular maroons in, from Jamaica resisted enslavement. They fought against colonizers and they ran into the hills of Jamaica and set up free communities. So we listened to the story and we're amazed and we're thinking, oh, we're somehow connected and related to the Maroons of Jamaica who were freedom fighters and set up their own communities. And he said, and those Africans who were brought over were connected to the African, like the West African um, in Africa. So, and then we had further conversation about it. And I think that that was a pivotal point in my childhood because it connected, it, it was my dad's attempt in, in sharing not only our history, but helping to um, instill pride in us about who we were and who we are. And I'll never forget that I sat in my mother's chair and somehow the tangles of my hair and my tender scalp didn't seem as tender anymore. I was able to be a little bit stronger that day. And then I was excited to see what hairstyle my mom was going to create that day. And ever since that moment, I've been more intrigued and more, um, I was more interested in how I could celebrate my ancestry through my hair each time. So wash days became more and more special. Uh, thank you so much for sharing all of that. Uh, I, I think like you just made wash day sound like the most sacred like <laughs> transformational thing. Like I'm jealous. I'm just taken aback, honestly, um, in the best way. That just sounds so incredible. And, and I think like you've done such a beautiful job of sort of bringing that sort of healing transformational feeling about wash day to the book. So the book is <laughs> know your heritage, Sarah's wash day. Talk to us about that. I mean, it sounds like it had such an impact, as you've said. Um, what did you hope to do in setting out to write this book for, for your daughter, which we'll get to in a sec, but then for other kids? I mean, just please tell us oh, everything. Sure. So this these childhood story is a lot of people of African descent can really relate to a wash day, some wash day story, whether it was really pleasant or there was some takeaways <laughs> and learnings from it. But there's, it's almost like a rite of passage for especially a lot of Black women to go through this wash day experience. And so, of course, these are some of the experiences that I'm now having with my now daughter through wash day. And so my daughter has a very sensitive scalp as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, wash days can sometimes be, it's almost like preparing for an event, you know? <laughs> so, um, so she wasn't always enjoying it because she has a very tender scalp. And so it just brought me back to those moments in my childhood where I also resisted and didn't really enjoy it. And then I thought, you know, especially in honor of my dad, who's no longer here, I wanted to pass down the lessons of her grandfather. And I wanted to start making our wash days more special. And I wanted her to feel as though wash day wasn't happening to her, but we were doing it together and that she could start to look forward to these bonding moments. I just started thinking, you know, let me just start telling her a little bit more about her hair and why it's so special. So there are even very basic things about curly and textured hair that I started sharing with her about why it was like her superpower. Or whenever you hear the hashtag or phrase black girl magic, 
I thought, hey, how can I bring this black girl magic to life and really truly explain why we're magic? <laughs> and so I started out even teaching the biology of the hair, like knowing that curly hair is inherently actually exists mostly in, in people of African descent or people who live in really warm temperatures by the equator. And so biologically, the hair it was designed to protect us from the rays of the sun. Or, you know, people who are, live in warmer text, um, environments or who come from a legacy of warmer environment tend to have melanated hair or melanated skin and that the sun's rays actually diffuse through that and actually that melanin helps to protect from any cell or DNA damage. I mean, if that's not magic, um, can somebody explain what is? <laughs> right? Oh, exactly. Um, right? And so even the fact, you know, so all of those facts really, she would become really interested in. And, be, and I think she loves sharing some of those interesting facts as well. But then the other piece was, she asked me one day, mommy, why do I always have to wear like beads in my hair or mm. braids or twists? Like, why can't I just have my hair straight and long? And, and I thought, well, that's the beauty of textured hair. Number one, it acts like fabric. You can have it silky and straight. Mm -hmm. You can have it curly and um, it, it defies gravity and can take on the form of cotton. It can take on the form of a textured rope pattern, like a braid and you can mold it. And again, magic. Right. Yeah. And then the other pieces, braids and beads, where where does this tradition come from? I grew up, all my friends had beads and braids and adornments and twists and their afro hair. And I link that now back to the tribes in Africa that have influenced our modern day style. And so a lot of the styles you see today that have resurfaced, right? All these long braids. And this is stuff that like, when you look at ancient African history, um, even down to Egyptian history, um, this, none of it's new. It's just evolved over the year. But then the other piece of that magic is we had a whole transatlantic self, um, slave trade that brought Africans to South America, that brought Africans to America. And every part of that system really tried to erase all of these hairstyles because our hairstyles actually told us a lot about ourselves, our marital status, our language, where in the continent we came from. And so some of the first things that slave owners did with um, African slaves was to shave their head to remove their identity. But how powerful is it that even through all that adversity and years and years of, you know, trying to take away that history, that it's never left. We still practice these hairstyles. We still celebrate our West African, East African, South African ancestors. And some of us don't even know it. It's amazing. So that's magic too. <laughs> it sure as hell is. Oh my God. How has your daughter reacted to the book? I mean, it's, it's one thing to sort of talk about doing it, but then it's, it's a real life thing that she and her friends can inter interact with and engage with. What has she thought about mom putting together this book about, about her? So it's, it, I can get super emotional about this because she, Sorry. I, no, I love this question because my daughter is so proud of me. And all I've ever done since the day she's born is wish for 
her to be proud of me and for her to know that she is loved. And so when I thought about this book, when it was just a thought in my mind, and then when I started putting my ideas to paper, she's been with me that whole time. She's, she's seen me writing. She has listened to my interactions with my illustrator or, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, my book design. And she has been through this whole process. And the biggest takeaway about it is that she feels so prideful that she has this story in her namesake, right? Mm-hmm. But that it's something that is, that is tangible. We can hold in our hands and that others can read this story. But most of all, she was just so proud to know that she, she has seen me from the beginning with the concept and going through my 2020, really trying to pull it together to actually having something that she can hold. She's just, when we got our first copy, the reaction meant everything. And it was my heart being fulfilled with pride that I set my mind to something and I accomplish it, accomplish it, but that I could show my daughter that it can be done. And then lastly, now when I'm seeing the reaction from the world and the messages I get every day and the pictures that children are taking, boys and girls mm-hmm. of all nationalities are taking with my book and sending me and telling me, thank you. My purpose has been fulfilled with this book for sure. Speaking of the book, it's beautiful. I mean, we can't say enough. Like it, the story is incredible. And and I think like you just alluded to it, your conversations with the illustrator. So Princess K is the, I mean, the direction is just, it's incredible. It's so beautiful and, and vibrant and, and colorful. How did you two work together? What was that collaboration like? I mean, because it, as you said, it's so personal. I mean, it's, it's your story. It's your daughter's story. It's, it's, yeah. And I'll tell you this, yes, this was probably the dream team collaboration and I didn't know it at the time it was happening. So I, when I set out to write this book, I Googled illustrators or African-American illustrators because I really wanted to see who was out there that could truly capture African, African American images. And I looked up the best up and coming or best illustrators. And I came upon this article that listed eight up and coming African-American illustrators. And the number one at the list was, was Vashti Harrison, who everybody knows now because she was the illustrator for Hair Love, Matthew Cherry's Hair Love. She's the illustrator of Lupita Nyong'o's um, Silhoué. And um, and she has her own um, Little Leaders like series. And so I thought, yeah, I'm gonna reach out to her because I was feeling really bold in 2020. <laughs> Why, not? <laughs> Why not, right? Yeah. And then, um, but third on the list was Princess Karibo, also known as Princess K. And I looked at her art and immediately I thought, wow, she's the person. And I thought to myself, well, I have to reach out to her too, because what I saw in her art was so much color, so much like the way she played around with light. And when I read her bio, what I loved about it is she's a self-taught artist. And I thought, wow, I'm a self-taught author. (laughs) She's a self-taught artist. Art is amazing and beautiful. And I thought, I'm going to write to her. And she immediately responded to me. And I thought, you know, wow, I'm going to just start to give her, you know, the background of what I'm trying to do. 
and let's see how it goes. And so we wrote up our contracts. I was so nervous. I'm so such a new art, author. I didn't even want to give her my script. And I'm like, well, how is she supposed to draw right. or have a vision? <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, I got the courage to send her my manuscript. And then we, we started to um, design the look, the feel. And what I loved is that, you know, I, this book is inspired by my daughter and myself. So I gave her an idea of me and Zara, our pictures and, and, and what I saw for each stanza in the book. And she, she took, she ran with it. And some of the sketches that she came back with were exactly on point with my vision. And so I thought, wow, she's, she gets me, she gets what I'm trying to do. And she's going to deliver this book in the way that I needed it. What was interesting is that I didn't even know that she was actually located in Nigeria, West Africa. So (laughs) then I thought, this is so awesome because this is meant to be, this is the link to the continent that also is in line with what I'm trying to do with this book. So it made it interesting in terms of the times that we could speak, but Mm -hmm. it worked (laughs) out (laughs) and forever. I'm so grateful that I was able to connect to this particular illustrator. So talk to us about, I mean, we touched very briefly on it, self-publishing. I mean, again, 2020 pandemic is here. You're linking up with this Nigerian illustrator. Whenever you've got time, you've got a million other things that you're doing. What was that process like? Oh my goodness. So I have a quote, it's like self-publishing is no joke, all right? It is not a game (laughs) Um, at all. So yes, I'll tell you, I had no idea about writing books and never even imagined that I could be an author. I wrote this manuscript and I went through all these motions of, oh, I need an illustrator or how do I get it published? So I Googled a lot of things. But then I remembered that I have a sister friend. Her name is Christy Lindor. And I remember she had published a book and was quite successful and is actually on her third book now. And I remembered um, that she had sent out a notice that she was going to have a a pilot test and run a digital author accountability group. And I thought I should join this group. My book's already written. I've been in touch with this illustrator, but maybe I should kind of, you know, invest in, 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 in 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 a workshop that will really help guide me a little bit better. And it was probably the best thing that I could have ever done because although I was the farthest along in the process, um, probably six, seven months into my um, the development of my book, and I had already gone through two developmental edits. Um, I did decide to take this twelve week class, and it was a pilot class. I got so much more from it than I paid for it. To be honest, I mean, it was a dream, and I went through this twelve exactly. This won't be that price now, yeah. but um, <laughs> um, <laughs> twelve weeks. What? the way she structured this this class was literally just taking me step through step on how to self-publish not only self-publish but what the process would be to even commercially publish but through that class some of the key things that i didn't know about i really um, was able to learn so number one i realized that being a i i even if i had a option to commercially publish. Self-publishing was the route to go for this book because I wanted to have full control over the messaging, the imaging, and I don't know that I would have had a Princess Karibo or be able to say some of the things I said in the book from a commercial publisher, which I'm not even bashing that route, but I think that- Wasn't for you. Exactly. It just wasn't the route for me, number one. Number two, learning about some of the legal 
ramifications or things to consider, like the fact that, you know, what is the process to copyright your book? Or what's the difference between copyright and trademark? Is a trademark a right way for you to go for your book? There was that. It was even down to understanding how to collect or what to do with ISBN numbers, right? And, and how much control you have when you buy your own ISBN numbers. The other piece was even thinking about different ways to write your book, that there are all these tools that you can, you don't even have to put pen to you know paper or type on your computer. You can voice it and have it, you know. So all of these kind of to these tools. What she did was she also had other authors as guest speakers to join the group. So she had authors who had published memoirs. She even had a children's book author, which was of course the class that I was excited about, yep. to give us tips and tricks on how to do it and, and what mistakes to avoid. And I think even six months in, that was very valuable to me. And it helped me not only pick my printing company, publishing company to go with, which is Ingram Spark, it allowed me to understand that I shouldn't take it all on. So I actually was able to understand how important developmental editors are, right? So to actually pass on my script and make sure that you get a developmental editor or another eye on the script, which helped really tighten the story. It helped me then also realize, Zenda, you don't have to write, edit, and illustrate the book, which I was going to design the book cover too. <laughs> so, and it, it, it gave me the okay to, to say, hey, you know, you can tap into other experts for that. So working with Princess Caribo and then now my designer, Anthony Ferranda of Ferranda Studios was key because he actually was the person, when you look at the book and see the colorful pattern in the back and even that unique font of the title, He's the one who pulled all that together for me. And he and I collaborated together and even came up with the vision for when you open the book and we talk about all the different tribes in Africa that are tied to the styles, you'll see that there's a shield at the end of each um, stanza. And he recreated the tribal shield it, to put at the bottom of each of those stanzas so that we could add that authenticity, that um, that history, and almost bless the page with the history of that tribe. So these are all the touches that, because I was doing so much on my own, having great collaborators to pull it together really, I think, took this book to the next level. Well, I mean, you've just talked about how sort of interwoven in the story uh, heritage and, and history is. We are now in the month of February celebrating Black History Month. We are in 2021, however. 2020, we lived through a whole lot of racial reckoning within the U.S., um, some fresh wounds, some old wounds. Uh, there remains to be seen whether or not there's going to be real sort of unity and reconciliation around some of this stuff. Uh, how are you feeling uh, in 2021, as we're sort of going through Black History Month, do you feel like it's more important than ever? Do you feel like it's problematic still? Like, what, what, where are you coming down? Oh, wow, it's a loaded question, but yes, I mean, listen, 2020 was the year that changed so much for me, and it's interesting because 2020 brought up a lot of, I, I would say, a lot of trauma actually from my childhood that I didn't even recognize 
that many people of color or people in general, when you see the racial injustice in America, when you see and learn about all the stories on a daily basis, you don't realize that it's traumatic as traumatic. On, you don't really realize that you hold a lot of that trauma or you suppress it to just move on in the world. And so that not the, the fact that we were forced to pause and not really go out into the world and there was a lot mm -hmm. of silence, you had a lot of time to see more, hear more. And so I think even though I've been seeing a lot of these events or just terrible things that have been happening throughout my life, I, I was forced more you know, more than ever to mm. literally actually see it, right? And not put up any blinders and not be able to suppress it. So I think, I think that, um, you know, I grew up in the Bronx in the eighties. And so I saw a lot and heard a lot. I mean, I was a little girl when the, the Central Park Five thing was happening. I remember as a little girl thinking my brother was the same age. I don't feel like my brother would do some of these things, or I remember not even being able to go to Central Park as a little girl growing up because there was all this fear. Um, or I remember not necessarily in my community feeling afraid of my own people or afraid of black men or afraid of black boys, but I always felt there was an energy around when I would see how people reacted to my brothers, myself, I'll even, I even remember being pulled over with my father once in the car and seeing my father's entire demeanor change and not really truly understanding why my father was acting the way he was or I felt like something was left my father, like almost like his manhood in that moment. But I was too young to really realize what was going on. And so the names like Abner Lena, uh, all, uh, I mean, Sean Bell, Bell um, all names, you could name them like they're members of your own family. And then you realize these are just incidents that have been happening for years. And I keep thinking, you know, we didn't have cell phones back then, or we didn't have <laughs> all the tools we have now. So can you imagine in the years and, 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 and hundreds of years, not, not, not having that exposure, right? And it's, it, it just makes me it's anger, it's all different types of emotions that you've had to suppress and just move on in the world and be fine. And so 2020 was a year that just, it was that the year of reckoning. It was like, no one can pretend anymore that this is not happening or that we did not see what, we, what we've seen. Mm -hmm. In fact, five years, six years ago, I believe, I will never forget driving home from North, um, Northern California with my daughter. She was in the back seat. She's an infant now. Um, and I'll never forget the story of Philando Castile. You know, at the time, it was like a week before I, I took this trip. I came, I happened upon that video and by accident, I didn't know what I was watching, but I watched it. And after watching that video, I remember um, having a lot of anxiety and, and just sadness. And I'll never forget driving from Northern California, there was a police car whose lights came on and started bearing down in the back of me. And I'll never forget having an actual panic attack physically to the point where I pulled over 
um, because I was afraid and I wasn't sure I was gonna be able to safely keep driving. It turned out the officer was not actually chasing me and it was actually someone right in front of me. But I had to sit on the side of a very busy highway for about a half an hour trying to gather myself, my infant daughter in the back. And all I could think of as, as that moment was happening, the back of my mind, I was thinking, please, I don't, I can't, I can't die today. My daughter, what would happen to my daughter? In any event, I decided from that moment on, I cannot w keep watching what happens in the world. I know it's happening, mm -hmm. but for my own peace and for me to be able to continue in the world as a whole and healthy person, I can't keep watching. So I never actually even saw the George Floyd video and I tried to avoid any videos that are out there. But for some of us, that that had to be seen in order to see for the change to happen, unfortunately, or for people to really understand that you can't hide from this anymore and that we all are living in a place um, where we can either be the change or we wanna be the change that we wanna see. And so in 2021, I don't think that it's, it's gonna take, it's been 400 years of this mm -hmm. or more. And I would say it's not going to change anytime soon, but I do believe that 2020 was the catalyst to start having more conversations, to have more self-awareness. I think there's a lot of diversity initiatives that and training and education especially for people who are progressive and want to know more, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's going to help the change, but it's going to be a while. It's going to be a while before it actually really does change. Yeah. Here's to many, many more conversations and very much more change uh, in 2021 and, and onward. Zenda, before we wrap into our last segment, how can people find your book? Where can they go to find out more about what you're up to? Please plug all of your channels, all of the links, and we will include everything in the show links as well. Yes. So you can find my book on amazon.com. It is available in a hardcover, a soft cover, and an e-publication or digital publication as well on barnesandnoble.com. And I just found out it's also on IndieBound as well. So, you know, I love to support local business. So um, that's a great um, resource for, to find out where local stores are carrying the book. And so I believe that it'll be picked up in, in several other, other distributors as well. But people can find me and, and my post and some of my fun TikToks with my daughter. <laughs> on um, Z, as in Zenda, Z Zen Life on Instagram, Zenda Walker on Facebook, both um, profiles are public. I have um, a special page for Know Your Heritage. And um, I also will be actually having an IG page specifically for Know Your Heritage. So that's no underscore your underscore heritage. And I just started a Twitter. I, I'm I'm like just kind of diving into Twitter now. Um and it's no Careful. your heritage, but it's no you are heritage because they won't let me put the while it's too long <laughs> as the heading for Twitter. And my website, it's a landing page right now, but um, because I'm adding some really cool things to the website, but it's knowyourheritage.com. And so I think it's also important for people to know that this is like the first book in now a series. Ah. Yes. Yes. Um, so Zara's Washe is the first book in the series, but you'll notice that the title is also Know Your Heritage. And so I mm -hmm. want to expand that Know Your Heritage brand into a series of books where um, 
I would like to collaborate with other illustrators and and um, designers to actually tell the story of Latinx Hispanic community. So know your heritage for the Latinx community, and know your heritage for the Asian community, and know your heritage for the Native American community. Because my motto is that everyone has a heritage. Mm-hmm. There's European heritage, right? There's, and, and, the, and the importance of the New Year Heritage brand is to really point out that a lot of the inspiration of modern day fashion and culture and hair is inspired by indigenous culture, right? Mm-hmm. So Black or African-Americans, our indigenous people came from the continent of Africa. And a lot of that style and hair and rituals that come from that country have totally influenced even our modern day culture. And some of us really don't know it. So these books are really designed to help parents have that conversation with their children, but also it's designed so that all people can engage and learn about other people's cultures because how else do we impact a world that really needs true healing for sure. For sure. Love that. Love the brand. Love the vision for where you're headed. We want to hear everything about it. When there are more books, we want to plug those too. So keep us in the loop about that. Um, and yeah, we will be including all of those links in the show notes. So don't you worry, listeners, we've got you covered. All right. Before we wrap, we've got our quick takes segment. So we ask these same questions of every single one of our guests. This is your hottest take, your fastest response. Don't overthink it. Okay. It should be fun. And yeah, we're just going to get rolling. Uh, so the first thing is bar soap or body wash? Herb and Eden. Okay. Indie company, husband and wife. Is there a specific soap that you're into? Should we be like drilling down that far? I love their oatmeal and honey soap. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we love to hear it. We love a good reco. Speaking of, we've just talked about a soap product. What is another product that you're loving? What is the one thing, again, soap notwithstanding, that you're obsessed with? Hair, beauty, it could be anything. Oh, everything. I'm such a beauty junkie. Like, <laughs> so there's so much I so love. Yep. Um, I'm really into this Creole Essence, which is another um, hair company, and it's carried at Ulta Beauty, um, and they have their own website as well. Um, they have a, cat, uh, a Moringa oil for like the hair that you also use on skin. And I love this mm. idea of moringa because yeah, moringa is filled with so many nutrients, so many vitamins that it even can actually feed nations of people. It gives you all the nutrients that you need. So I just love the idea of it for hair and skin. And I love that oil. Um, I'm also just a fan of like natural herbs and like things that I can get from my kitchen and whip up and, and use. Like I'm a, definitely a fan of olive oil. 100% virgin olive oil. And sometimes I add that to my lotion or add it to, you know, my hair products or, you know, use that with water for my daughter's hair, even as a great like detangler and moisturizer. There's nothing you you can't do. I mean, honestly. <laughs> uh, okay. We talked a little bit about 2020 being a slow year. A lot of us stayed at home for a lot of the year, a lot of TV, movie and music listening to lots oh. of streaming. What is the latest thing that you are streaming? <laughs> I probably am going to join all the millions of people, but you know, I can't let it go. Bridgerton. <laughs> I was waiting. I, Which one? I, yeah. Bridgerton. There. Bridgerton is everything. I mean, Shonda Rhimes, first of all, is one of my, I, I, I love her and she's probably one of the people that has inspired me the most to be a writer. 
Um, because I read a quote from her that stated, listen, you know, stop, don't think that you're not a writer, right? Anything that you write down makes you a writer. So it's just go for it. So she's been my inspiration. Everything that she does, it's like gold. And I think Netflix realizes that now, maybe even her former. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, let's where's second, players. the second season. Come on, like, let's lock it down. Let's let's make it happen already I'm here for all of it. So that is my <laughs> guilty pleasure. <laughs> Nothing to be guilty about. We're yeah. all about it. Uh, OK, so I mean, we've talked a lot about in this podcast, your career as a children's book author. But as we alluded to, you are a multi-hyphenate, to put it lightly. You are also a licensed cosmetologist. Yes. So what are your real talk words of advice for folks that want to get to the top of our industry, i.e. beauty, hair? Oh, yes. So listen, I wear my license and that badge of honor, like <laughs> cosmetology license is a badge of honor. What I would say to people starting out in the industry and even people who are very seasoned in the industry is to once again think about what's a top for you because everybody has their own top and stop worrying about what everybody else is doing use it as you can use it as a guide what's working for other people but figure out what's the top for you what you're really truly good at and just keep going and hone that skill I also think you know when you have an idea just realize that your ideas and what you bring to the table are valuable. So be your best advocate. You are your best advocate. Trust your instinct and, and continue to set your own bar. Um, don't worry about what social media is telling you to be or who to compete with. And I think that we get really caught up and have to remember that people will only show you what they wanna show you on social media don't let that burden your, your vision or make you feel like you're, you're not doing enough, right? And so be yourself and just trust yourself and be your best advocate. Love that. Stay away from social, I say, <laughs> as a social need, media person. I yeah. Social, yeah. But, you know. <laughs> but in moderation, in small in doses, moderation. we got it. Yeah. That's right. All right. Last <laughs> question before we wrap. 2021 predictions for publishing for beauty for the country what are you hoping so this is really great what i'm hoping is that you know i think there's there's an obviously an explosion and maybe even a saturation of of products in general um in both areas right in both publishing and books and in um in um in the in the industry beauty industry and so what i would say for the beauty industry first is i do believe that there's just going to be continue to be an explosion of independent brands mm -hmm. um i think you know people are feeling just more empowered to create and they want to be different um and maybe the dream is to then be acquired by you know and then continue to create right Cre be acquired by a larger company and then continue to create but i think that we have kind of like these two extremes in the beauty industry right you have these you have products that are manufactured, they're more synthetic, you know, then you have like the, the all natural movement, the free of, the paraben free, the, you know, gluten free, the, and I think there's gonna be actually, you know, I think there's two extremes, but I think there's also this realization that what is actually really working for you and your texture of hair. And so I think there might be a, a, a new movement towards a mashup of these ingredients where you have these synthetic, you know, ingredients that just really do the job. Yep. And, and that's Balance that with. mashup, right, of mm -hmm. both. Mm -hmm. And then 
I also think salons will never ever be the same after 2020. We all know that the industry was hit hard. Mm-hmm. But when we get back to what we consider normal and you know, we're back out in yep. the world again, stylists are going to realize your game not only has to be stepped up, but that people are, this is an opportunity for us as stylists. Like people now want to luxuriate more in you being their stylist and go to salons. They don't want to necessarily be do it yourself. Um, <laughs> Been there, done that, you know, mm-hmm. in one of the hardest years of, of global <laughs> history, right? And here's our chance now to offer, not only give the guests the most amazing experience, but here's the, 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 um, the chance for you to step up and realize that you are an essential worker to a lot of people who really rely on you for their self-confidence, for them to put forward their best selves, and for you to actually take how they envision themselves and actually um, bring it to life. I mean, the soundbite doesn't get better than that. That was incredible. Thank you so much, Sen. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you for joining us. As we said, we will be linking out to all of Zenda's social and websites for you guys in the, the show credits. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Go grab her book. We can't wait for more of them. And yeah, please come back on the pod sometime soon. Yes, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to the future. Okay, that was a good one. We went deep. I think it was amazing just illustrating Zara, how she's like, no, I'm not excited to wear this hair. I don't want these styles that you create. But then the mom taking her on that cultural journey to help her understand the significance of that, I think is, is it was just, it was kind of like a goosebump moment for me. I loved it. For sure. I mean, she was Zenda was so vulnerable. Uh, we really appreciate yeah. her opening up and, and sharing with, with me and obviously with our audience, you guys, the listeners, uh, powerful stuff, uh, super resonant. Uh, I think really important to hear now and at any time, really uh, love the book, love talking about her inspiration and, and what she hopes to accomplish with it in the series, the brand that she's building. Uh, we can't thank her enough. And yeah, check the show notes for links uh, yep. to figure out where to purchase, where to go, where to learn more about Zenda and what she's up to. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for for listening to to that interview. We're proud that we were able to do that. Be sure to hit subscribe, rate, and review, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok at Rate the Tease, and send in questions to volumeup at thetease.com. We're checking. Volume Up is a Tease Media production. This episode was produced by Monica Hickey and Stephen Jopran. Thank you to our creative team, Kay Reynolds and Haley Hefner, for putting together the graphics for this episode, and to Josh Landowski for editing so that you guys can watch and listen on YouTube.